From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. According to a recent study, life expectancy for African Americans improves when they live near black doctors. We'll explore it with two doctors who give us eye-opening insight on the issue. You understand the experiences that African Americans has gone through with the medical establishment. Unfortunately, we don't get the same standard of care as other ethnic groups when they walk through the door at the emergency room. Charity Howard caught up with a therapist and doula to talk about black infant mortality rates. When we are looking at the data from those who are no longer here to tell their stories, we are doing everything in our power to put those stories together, to learn as much as we can on both ends so we can come together, bridge the gap, and not have a maternal death. That's all coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. A recent study points to racial disparities in healthcare, specifically for African Americans. It shows that life expectancy for African Americans improves when they live near Black doctors. This study out of the Journal of the American Medical Association opens the door for discussions about access to care and the need for more people of color to enter into the field of medicine. Here to discuss this further are two Philadelphia physicians, Temple University physician Dr. Delana Wardlaw, who is also half of the very fabulous twin sister docs that most people are familiar with. Dr. Wardlaw specializes in family medicine. Dr. Menachem Lisi is interim chair and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the Lewis Kett School of Medicine at Temple University. Welcome, doctors. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, of course, there have been other studies that have shown that when, you know, Black patients are treated by Black doctors, they're more satisfied with their health care, um, more likely to have received preventative care and you know, they're also more likely to agree to things like blood tests and flu shots. Let's talk a little bit about this. Were the results of this study surprising to you both in any way? Not at all. No? Why is that, Dr. Wardlaw? Well, because we know that with most people, and, you know, people feel more comfortable with people that they have something in common with, something that they can have a connection with. And particularly in medicine, since it's such a private connection that you have to make with your physician, you have to reveal such private details, you really have to have that trust and comfort level there. And you really have to feel like people are listening to you. Mm-hmm. People are connecting to you. And so it's not surprised at all because many patients, African-American patients feel like doctors that are not Black doctors are not listening to them or are not understanding um, some of the cultural experiences that they have. So when they feel like they have that connection there, then they're more likely to participate, more likely to um, follow your recommendations. Yeah, I understand that. Dr. Lisi, same thoughts? I I agree, certainly. It's not a shock, not a surprise here. You know, there's something to be said about walking into a room and seeing someone who you know has a shared experience, a shared cultural experience, who has had, just based on skin color alone, based on background alone, they've had similar experiences and can understand where you're coming from. It it garners for an amount of trust and amount of comfort Mm -hmm. that can always be found. Uh, and, that, and that's certainly not to suggest that people who don't look like the people who are taken care of don't provide good care and wouldn't, and wouldn't. But there's something to be said about seeing someone who looks like you 
talks like you, walks like you, is growing up like you, and can relate to what you've gone through and what you're going through. There's something about that. Yeah, I would say that. And it reminds me of what we all went through when the pandemic was at its height. Um, It took really, for the most part, Black doctors, especially here in the Philadelphia area, to convince many members of the Black community that it is okay and it is safe to get the vaccine. This is something that you both found, right? Absolutely. People want to know that you understand and realize that you're not recommending something to them that you're not going to recommend for yourself or your family members, and that you understand the experiences that African-Americans has gone through with the medical establishment. Unfortunately, we don't get the same standard of care as other ethnic groups when they walk through the door at the emergency room. And, you know, those people are aware of that. So to be able to say to them, listen, I understand what you're going through. Yes, we understand it. We've been through this as well, but we can't let past and even some present experiences prevent us from getting a treatment or a preventive measure that is going to potentially save our lives. So I understand the hesitancy, but we we have to get beyond that. Absolutely. There's certainly a a lot of documentation on the history of experimentation on Black people in medicine. And, you know, during the height of the pandemic, I got a lot of commentary and and questions about, you know, the Tuskegee experiment, for example. And we had to, you know, do a lot of education about the current stats and about the COVID vaccine and how it works. And we're not trying to experiment on you. This is to help. And this is something that I would recommend to you and to myself, something I'm going to do myself. And so, yes, absolutely. That was a big deal during the the height of the pandemic. We actually can go back to the experiments on Black bodies and we can go back to the horrors that were imparted on the enslaved and all of the experiments and so on and so forth. And those fears are actually kind of ingrained into our DNA. And I'm wondering if all physicians, you know, when they're met with this resistance with patients who are of color, do they understand that deep-rooted history that is there? And, you know, what can the medical community as a whole do, you know, to kind of allay those fears? Well, I'm not sure that all physicians are aware Mm. of the uh, feelings that they have or that they are the um, hesitancy that they have. I'm not sure that all physicians have that understanding. And that's why cultural competency is so extremely important, where Mm. physicians have to understand the community that they're serving. They have to understand the challenges that the community is experiencing, past and present. And so to be able to meet the questions and the concerns, and when people hear the word um, hesitancy, hesitancy doesn't mean that someone is just doesn't want to follow the recommendation. They have questions and concerns. And as physicians, we have to provide accurate, culturally sensitive information to allow for a patient to be comfortable, to be able to make an educated and informed decision. Do you agree, Dr. Lisi? Absolutely. Particularly as primary care physicians, it's our job to educate and to hear people out, to understand where people are coming from. And when we're educating and talking about these things, to do it in a patient-centered manner, right? Do it in a way that, you know, we're, again, garnering trust, getting people on our side, letting them know that we're, we're on their side, we're here to help. That is absolutely the job of uh, a primary care physician, physicians in general, but we, we have to do a good job in, in understanding where our patients are coming from. Right. And of course, there is a need for more physicians of color, of course. And 
I want to say that Dr. Lisi and Dr. Wardlaw are both physicians of color. I'd love to hear your stories as far as how you chose medicine as the field to get into and some a little bit about your background. Dr. Lisi, let me hear a little bit more about your background. Certainly, yeah. So I knew I wanted to be a physician going back to age 11. And I believed then, as I still do now, that there's nothing more important in life than your health and your well-being. We can have a lot of things, a lot of material things, a lot of stuff, but none of that matters if you're not healthy. If you're not healthy, if your family members, your, your loved ones are not healthy, that can put a damper on things. And so, you know, for me, I felt like if I was going to contribute in any meaningful way to society, I wanted to do it through the way of healthcare. And that led me down this path of being a physician. And, you know, I've been here at Temple now uh, for five years here in North Philly. Before I came here, I worked at a FQHC in Harlem. And it's it's really important to me to be in communities like this, communities that are underserved. You think of North Philly, this is, you know, this is one of the parts of the city that was historically redlined, right? right? And you can see the fallout from that all these decades later. You can see that. And at some point, we're all patients, you know, the people who are well off, people who are not well off and everyone in between. We all are patients. We all need health care at some point. But for me, it's really, really, really important to be in a place where it's needed the most. You know, that, so that's why I'm here. And Dr. Wardler, I know that uh, medicine is just in your family. So, uh, well, my sister and I, we're first generation physicians. Okay. And, and, and we're still the only physicians in our family. Um, but I initially thought I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. But, you know, as you go, as you journey through your path, you realize your strengths and your weaknesses, and you realize that some areas just aren't right there for you. Uh, but the biggest reason why I went to medicine is because uh, my maternal grandmother died of breast cancer at the age of 53, mm. not much older than what I am now. And um, I was only eight years old when she passed away. I learned uh, what she died of when I was in high school. And it was at that time that it piqued my interest in medicine. Okay. I would like to help people so people don't die as young as my grandmother. And having further discussion with my mother, a big reason that my mother, my grandmother died at such a young age of a condition that if diagnosed at an early stage has um, higher survival rates, she didn't have access to health care. And she also did not have a lot of faith in the medical establishment. So my why is to prevent people from dying at early ages. That was my first reason why to go into to medicine. Yeah. Now that of course has evolved into still to prevent people from, you know, meeting an early demise when we can, but also educating people on living healthier. My experience extends from my office out into the community on many platforms and just being able to um, educate the community on various things, whether it's issues that burden our community, African-Americans are burdened by many diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart mm -hmm. disease. We have higher deaths from colon cancer and breast cancer and to be able to educate and to inform people, we don't want to just see you when you're ill. We need to see you for those preventive visits so that we can get ahead of these things and diagnose things before they start to rear their ugly heads. So education is key. And as um, Dr. Lisi mentioned earlier with the redlining of the neighborhoods, I'm a North Philadelphia native. I went to Temple University. Um, I'm here at Temple University now. I do a lot of my community work in this area. And the redlining, of course, it had detrimental effects on people's ability to be able to have higher values in their homes, which led to decreased funding for schools, mm -hmm. which leads to higher levels of poverty, which leads to higher incidence of people not being able to get 
um, quality jobs, which leads to issues with insurance and access to care. So it is very, very important that I am in a community where I can meet the need as best I can. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. How can we encourage more African Americans to enter the healthcare field? Obviously, there is a need, but how do we get them? Yeah, I think for our youth, you know, they got to be able to, to see us and touch us mm-hmm. and know that this is an achievable field. They got to be able to see that this is the norm. This should be the norm. If I'm a child growing up and all the doctors I've ever seen don't look like me, it may become ingrained to me that that's normal. Maybe I don't belong in that group or that circle. So they need to be able to see that, yeah, no, you should be in this circle. This should be the norm that there's a diverse work field of physicians. It's not just that everyone has to look like a certain way. No, you should be here. So I think the starting at at an early age, they got to be able to see us present and know that, you know, this is a fulfilling job. This is such impactful. You know, we, we touch people's lives every day. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And a part of the mission of the Twin Sister Docs platform is not only healthcare advocacy, but also mentorship. And uh, we do that by exposing ourselves to the students at very young ages. We cover many platforms, whether it's um, career days at elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. We have mentorship uh, programs with pre-medical students, medical students, even um, interns and residents who they've journeyed through medical school, but now they're through that, they're in the next stage of their career where they're going through the training stage as actual physicians. So to let people know that, yes, this is us and we're not going to be here forever. So we have to prepare that next generation to step into our shoes and we have to let them know that you belong here and we are here to support you. Dr. Wardlaw and Dr. Lisi, oftentimes we hear about the difficulties that um, African-Americans face in hospitals, things relating to pain and and not being heard and, um, you know, not being understood completely or things not really being explained to them. But what are the, some of the challenges that Black doctors face in the healthcare field? Well, so many times people, even if you have on your white coat, your badge, you're still not presumed to be the physician. You've identified yourself and people will say, okay, well, is the physician coming in? I was recently at a meeting full of physicians. And I was standing at the area where they were handing out drinks and someone came over to me and said, so what are you serving tonight? And so it happens very, very, very commonly. Um, And then, you know, where people still question your credibility, you know, did you get here because of a quota? Did you get here because of affirmative action? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when when you're going through uh, medical school, People are not open with all the resources. Again, I was a first-generation physician. I couldn't rely on my parents or brothers and sisters to provide a track for me. Other people who have physicians in their families, they have many resources available to them, and those resources not always share. So that's another challenge that students um, face. And then you have the challenge of patients questioning you, thinking that you are not qualified to care for them. So you you, you meet those challenges on a, on a regular basis. And Dr. Lisi and I, we're used to it. And guess what? We face it head on. <laughs> I'd echo everything Dr. Wilder said, everything. Uh, it's the credibility, 
concern is is there it's real you know uh, to this day you know i walk in the room sometimes and people look at me and say well are you dr lisa yes i'm dr lisa i wasn't expecting you to be dr lisa well you're looking at him <laughs> right <laughs> you know I, that happens and you have to be able to you know get through it and and what i've found is that once i start talking people know that i'm a serious person who's serious about his job and knows what he's doing then some of those sort of worries and delays go kind of go away but that's a challenge and now say for people going through medical school and i'm sure dr warlaw you have maybe had this experience and you know we're kind of used to being one person in the room yeah it looks like you're the one of two one of three and that can be hard. That can be isolated. You know, going through medical school, going through residency as the one person of color, the one of three of color, and people looking at you and thinking that maybe you're lesser than, maybe you're not as smart as your cohort. Again, I think that's one of the things that's really important for our young people to be able to see, to know, well, you know, we've gone through it and people before us have gone through it. So of course you can get here and do the same thing. And you can go beyond what we're doing. That's absolutely real. Yeah, it is real. Uh, let's talk more about the status of health of uh, people of color, uh, African-Americans in particular. Uh, let's talk about some of the things that we probably have to let go of. And I'm sure you've both talked to your patients about this, maybe some lifestyle changes, things that we may have grown up with that we may have to kind of uh, fall away from for the sake of our health. You were talking about diabetes and uh, different ailments that are common among us. So can you talk to some of the lifestyle changes that uh, you often ask your clients, your patients to make? So one of the biggest lifestyle changes, which we talk about, well, just about almost every visit with our patients is dietary changes. Now, you know, with an African-American community, we love our soul food and that's not always <laughs> mm-hmm. the healthiest food. And that's OK for us to have it. We just can't mm-hmm. have it on a regular basis. So let's talk and about the, the soul. Food. We're talking everything deep fried <laughs> in grease and oil and, you know, all of that stuff. Very, very fatty. But go ahead. <laughs> yes. And so we have to make sure that that is um, not our regular diet. We have to make sure that we're eating a balanced, healthy diet and making sure we're relying more on baked, broiled or air fried foods as opposed and grilled as opposed to the deep fried foods, making sure we're not um, using that Crisco that we used to use regularly that um, we repair our food with. But if we put it in the sink, our parents would have our heads because exactly. it would clog the sink. <laughs> it would clog the sink. But guess what? It's clogging our arteries as well. Right. Also to making sure that we are um, increasing our exercise. And this is for people across the board. But the other thing I want to comment is on for the African-American community is that we have to get rid of the taboo that uh, we aren't experiencing mental health issues yeah. and that it's not okay to um, see a therapist or a physician or a psychiatrist to be able to develop coping skills to be able to deal with stressors. We all have stress. We can't get through life without stress. And um, when mental health issues arise, a lot of that is because the stress is exacerbated. And we have to know that it is okay for us to ask for help. We have to get rid of that taboo that, oh, nothing is wrong with you. Oh, it's, you know, just go relax. Or it's okay to seek professional help, seek professional care so that you can get the strategies and the coping skills that you need to alleviate this stress. I mean, we're exposed to trauma and stress every day. We have a gun violence issue in this country that we're exposed to on a regular basis. I mean, repeated trauma that all of us are experiencing. It is okay to talk to a therapist. Absolutely. I agree. Yep. It's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not be okay. Now, I tell us people all the time, you know, our mental health is just as important as our physical health. We oftentimes focus on pain or, you know, uh, 
this physical problem I have. I have a headache. I, my back hurts. I have a rash or wh- whatever the case may be. But your mental well-being, your emotional state, that ties into that. They're, they're not disconnected. They're all tied together. And this, you know, your mental health, your emotional health is just as important. And oftentimes we're reactive when we're talking about mental health for not, instead of being proactive. So 100%, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's okay to have a therapist. What's wrong with that? Um, well, hopefully we'll, we'll see more uh, men and women of color entering the medical field as this does reflect largely on the you know positive health outcomes for um, African-Americans in particular. Um, Dr. Wardlaw, how can people get in contact with you? So um, you can reach me at Twin Sister Docs on all social media. And you can also reach me at my website at thetwinsisterdocs.com. Okay, sounds good. And Dr. Lisi? Oh, I'm a, certainly you can find me under Temple University's website uh, for our family medicine residency program. I'm there for Department of Family and Community Medicine. I'm very accessible. All right. Sounds good. Well, Dr. Uh, Delena Wardlaw and Dr. Menachem Lisi, thank you so much for uh, lending your voice uh, to this discussion uh, regarding uh, life expectancy of African-Americans improving, actually, when they live near Black doctors. It's definitely eye-opening. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is a real treat. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. A recent study pointed to the rising rates of Black infant mortality and the racial disparities in Black maternal health. Charity Howard sits with Salima McNeil from the Oshun Family Center in Philadelphia. I really enjoy the clients that I get to work with from beginning to end. And with that, I have so much joy because I've been there since day one. Some clients who are picking their donors and we're going through the profiles together and they want you to listen to the voices or going through the characteristics and, you know, going back and forth about what is the right choice for them. And then we get the opportunity to have egg retrieval. Then I'm there for transfer day. I'm there for the positive pregnancy test. And now I get to see this little human grow up and first birthdays are something different for those families. Philly's a trendsetter. We're a city of firsts. And you are doing something to change the tide of how people see birthing, how people see health, and maternal health in particular. Now, what are you doing? Well, we're doing a little bit of a lot of stuff. Uh, One of the major things that we do every year is to celebrate Black birthing families um, in hopes of raising awareness and providing spaces for birth workers and community members to come together. So what are some of the stats when we look at Black maternal health, when we look at how the Black mother is treated in Philadelphia? Can we talk about that? So the Maternal Mortality Review Committee, in which I am a part of, we sit every quarter and go through all of the maternal deaths that had taken place in Philadelphia County. And the report that we were able to put out a few years ago says that out of the births that take place, we have over 9,000 Black babies that are born. Unfortunately, we are still three to four times higher than our white counterparts when it comes to maternal deaths. We are in the process of reviewing all of those things to see if this was preventable. Because unfortunately, out of the deaths that occur, we make up 73% of them here in Philadelphia County. And those rates are really alarming. When we look at the last decade, we try to figure out what's happening here because the rates have actually been pretty stagnant, um, but they have dropped off in some levels. So when we look at the full spectrum of things, that 73% really does wrench at our hearts because 
out of the data that we have, we make up more than half of it. So what can we do? And so we have collectively come together, even working with other people on the MMRC um, to evaluate the data and understand and make a plan for every single person that has unfortunately passed. And we are learning from them and moving things in a different direction to make sure that in Philadelphia County and beyond that we are making sure that Black families are cared for in a way that they feel honored. In addition to that, we were awarded from Patient Center Outcome Research Institute, PCORI, in conjunction with Temple University for a five-year multi-level clinical trial research study that is for us and by us. Wow, that's big. So, I mean, so now you have what you need to make your ideas come to life. What are some of those ideas? We are also empowering them to be individuals and actualize in their care to be advocates for themselves in the birthing room and in the hospital. The other unique thing that we have is we're not just going from the bottom up. We are coming from the top down as well. So we are working within the institution and the healthcare system to help put forth some diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings, some didactic trainings. So the health system in itself, with a few departments that we're working with, can take an introspective look at to how they are contributing um, to patients' quality of life in a positive way and ways to improve. And so with that whole kit and caboodle, our interpersonal level, our individual level, and our institutional level makes this study one of its own very unique and innovative. And it is the hope that in five years, we have enough data to prove that what we see as Black women for the standard care of maternity care should be the standard, not just going in for your appointment to get your weight checked and to check your glucose and see how baby is growing, but to have a full spectrum of supporters with a doula, a lactation consultant, and a mental health professional in addition to the supporters from your village. Wow. And you're also including technology. We are partnered with Narrative Nation, uh, with Kimberly Sears Allers, who is the founder of The Big Letdown. Um, One thing that Kimberly says that I really hold on to is that we want to learn from the living and not try to put together the stories of those who have already passed away. We're talking preemptive here. Yes. Absolutely. So this app is a Yelp-like review app where birthers and some doulas are able to go on and leave reviews on what their experiences have been within the health system. Now, a few things with that. As a community, we're very excited. As an institution, they're very scared because there's transparency in what the experiences are. However, Temple has taken the burden of being the first in the city to pilot this program to say, all right, come on in. We will endorse and utilize this app with our patients within your program so we can also get the data so we can be better for the clients that we serve here in Philadelphia. So what does the actual patient, what's their part in all of this? What they get to experience from walking in the door, they are able to understand and be educated on what this study is. It's called change of heart um, because we're hoping for an institutional level that they have a change of heart and they understand how the clients can change to be more advocates for themselves and be empowered with the information. So they are fully educated on our program. We show them pictures so they know that these aren't just black faces out there saying this is what we're going to do. But this is absolutely black people sitting at the table, putting this stuff together. 
They are equipped with a blood pressure monitor. They're equipped with a home um, scale. We give them knowledge and information around their birthing choices. Then they're able to meet with somebody from our research team to do their full intake. We compensate them. They are able to have a doula um, that's included in a program. And then they get prenatal and postnatal mental health assessments. And for those who choose to feed their baby by their breast or their chest, they are um, connected with an internationally board certified lactation consultant. So they have everything that they need to help circumvent some of those fourth trimester outcomes. So you're really attending to the person, the baby, all the potential. This is not something that's happening to you. This is something that you're being birthed through. Exactly. Birth through the whole entire process. Because once a little human is brought earthside, that is still a, a wave in the ripple of the family. The support person, the caregiver, the non-gestational parent, in addition to the person who actually went through the birthing process, how the siblings take on this new person. And so we work with the entire family on the adjustments, especially knowing how perinatal mood and anxiety disorders impact those four trimester outcomes. So we can have that full circle moment that we're all on the same page to help this birthing family be successful beyond the fourth trimester. So you're attending to the family, you're attending to the spirit, but the mental health is really important too. 100%. And so I had that in the forefront of my mind when I launched the organization to be a face for the Black community to say, you can come and get the healing that you want because sis, I got you and bro, I understand. And so with that, I have built out a team of other Black clinicians to help bridge that gap. And we have been able to do so. And every day I wake up with a heart that's so full because I've learned throughout these last five years of being in my post-grad is that Black people actually don't have a problem with going to therapy. It is overcoming some barriers, one being financial and two being able to sit across from somebody who has some level of shared life experience that helps you overcome the the fear that you may experience and may keep you from going to therapy. And so I fully enjoy that we are able to be that pillar in the black community to say, come on in, we got you. And with that, we get to sit and look at every single family. Um, so when we say, let's learn from the living, that's what we are to have our program for. When we are looking at the data from those who are no longer here to tell their stories, we are doing everything in our power to put those stories together, to learn as much as we can on both ends so we can come together, bridge the gap, and not have a maternal death. Because ultimately, this is about life. It is about life and celebrating life and looking at birth as this wonderful, monumental thing that we know is going to be challenging, is going to be hard, but with the right support and a collective effort can be successful and joyful. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly, at Raquel on Air, and at Shara Day. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. Be well.